Good morning, friends. <coughs> Good to be with you, people. Uh, hey, that, uh, that women's breakfast is actually May 20th. So, um, women, if you come to our house on the 27th, it'll just be, it's like me in my pajamas that day, and that's, <laughs> that's not what you're going for. Uh, May 20th. So, Hey, uh, good morning, everybody. Good to be with you guys. Uh, good to be with you folks who are online this morning as well. Um, hey, you know, quite simply, the reason that we are here is because we have a good and loving God who invites us to a new life. And he invites us to follow him, uh, for him to become our rabbi, for us to become his apprentices, and he sends us out for the good of the world. And we come here uh, to live into and rehearse that story, and, uh, and allow his life to be formed in ours. Uh, and today, so we're in the series, Doug started it last week, a series called Rebooting Your Faith. And we're, we're just asking the question, what are the foundational practices as followers of Jesus, as his apprentices, that we really need to focus on? Uh, think of it, if you will, like spring training, right? The, uh, the baseball teams, I'm, I'm not a sporty guy, but... I'm told this, the baseball teams, they come together in the spring and then begin training again. And when they do this, it always starts with the foundations, with the fundamentals. And they drill these things over and over and over again. And that's kind of what we're doing in terms of our spiritual lives, is talking about what are the foundations, what are, what are the practices that we need to lean into, as uh, not for the practice sake itself, but as we are becoming people who are more and more like Jesus. Uh, last week, Doug talked uh, talk us through meditation on the scriptures, and today we're talking about how to pray. We're talking about how to pray. And uh, prayer is, uh, this is always interesting to me, because you could argue there's probably nothing more foundational to the spiritual life. And whether you are a religious person or you're not a religious person, you probably have some experience with prayer. Yet... I find this, and maybe you can see if you think this is true as well, but I find that almost everybody struggles with prayer on some level. How do I do it? What do I say when I pray? What do I say so that it doesn't sound like the exact same thing that I said yesterday when I showed up in prayer, right? God bless me, God bless my family, and then your mind wanders off, and five minutes later you're like, oh yeah, I was praying, right? Uh, what's happening when I pray? Is anything happening? Am I actually connecting with God in this? Has anything changed as a result of this in my world around me or in me? There's so many questions that come around this topic of prayer and so many difficulties that I think we run into. And um, we're in good company with this, friends. For Jesus' disciples, uh, they had these exact same struggles. And it's worth keeping in mind, too, that Jesus' disciples were not exactly novices, right? They weren't like religious pros. They were like mostly like fishermen and tradespeople and whatnot. They were very normal people. But at the same time, you know, these, these are good Jewish boys who grew up going to synagogue school. They grew up uh, learning and reciting the typical Jewish prayers. They grew up singing and praying the Psalms together. Uh, they, it's not that they didn't know the mechanics. But when they were with Jesus, the, the Gospels tell us, and Luke in particular zeroes in on this, when they were with Jesus and they saw Jesus pray, it's like, man, something is different. 
when Jesus prays, it's different than when I pray. And they said, I want to learn to pray like that. Right? When, when Jesus prayed, it was like there was a sense that he was, was actually connected with God when he prayed. And Jesus, and you know this if you've read the Gospels at all, as Jesus walked through life and whatever joy or whatever tragedy was happening at any given time, there was this non-anxiousness to him. There was this sense that God was with him in the midst of this. And, and he prayed for things, and the things happened. Like miracles, like followed him around, right? The disciples, they saw all this, and they're like, okay, Jesus, teach us to pray. We want to know how to pray the way that you pray. We want to have a life of prayer that is like the life you have. And Jesus said to them, no, actually, you can't. It's just me. No, not, not really. He answered their question. Uh, and the answer is what we commonly refer to as the Lord's Prayer. And I, I want us to focus on that today because I think sometimes we miss the point of the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is the answer that Jesus gives to the question, how can I be a person who prays like Jesus? How can I experience God in that same way? How can I have God's life transforming mine? How can God's power be flowing through me? This is Jesus' answer to that question. It's not just something that we recite. It is, it's instructions on how we are to pray. And that's where I want us to focus this morning. And, uh, and I'll reiterate this at the end, but as we go through this, I want you to be kind of taking it with this challenge. What would it look like if I was to daily start praying the way that Jesus teaches us to pray? What would that do in my life with God and in my presence in this world that God loves? Let's pray and let's look at the scriptures together. Lord God, we come to you this morning with the same question that the disciples brought. Lord, teach us to pray. Uh, we, we don't want prayer to be a, a, just this activity that we kind of check the religious box and do. God, we want to meet you in the midst of this. And we want you to be doing your good work in us. So God, we ask you for this. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come upon us. Lord, that you would be our teacher this morning, that you would bring to life your words and the scriptures, that you would be instructing and informing our hearts. And God, may our hearts be good soil this morning. May we take what we hear and combine it with action. May we combine it with faith and look to you to do your good work in us as a result. So Lord, we ask for this, and we pray in faith in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, friends, so how does Jesus tell us that we should pray? Uh, I'm going to give you a, a bit of a list as we go through this. So note-taking types, you might want to jot these down, but, but note as we go through this prayer, it's incredibly simple, and it's incredibly personal. This is from Matthew 6, verse 9. It says, this then is how you should pray. 
And pause there for just a minute. I just want to reemphasize this. It doesn't say this is what you should pray, right? Jesus is not saying every time you pray, recite this. Now, you can. I often do. I mean, it's, it's valuable to know this prayer and to recite it verbatim. But it's not just what you should pray. It's not just the words you should pray. It's how you should pray. This is an instruction manual on how to pray. Uh, this, then, he says, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. All right, so what is Jesus telling us to do here? And we're going to look at each part. And, uh, and again, think of this as a framework, right? Think of these different parts almost as a heading. And then under each of these, you, you add your own prayers. Add yourself into each of these as we go. Uh, the prayer starts with this. It starts with our Father in heaven. And the first thing that we do here, and I'd give this to you as the first word to remember in this. First thing that we do is we reflect on who God is. Before we begin to pray, we reflect on who is it that we are praying to. Uh, Or if you prefer, we we remember, we recall, we we call to mind. Who is this God to whom we pray? And this is interesting because, in essence, the prayer that Jesus gives us, it calls for us to begin praying by stopping and just being aware. Now, I don't know if, if you can do this. I know I can do this, where I can kind of mindlessly pray, and the mindlessness of my prayer often begins with just kind of charging in. And, and Jesus kind of stops them right at the outset. Pray, our Father who is in heaven. This wasn't the typical way that Jews of Jesus' day addressed God. He was the Lord. He was the Almighty. He was the provider. He was Elohim. He was Yahweh. He's he's all these other names. But it was pretty darn unusual in the time of Jesus to address God so personally, so informally, our Father in heaven. In any of these names of God, any attribute of God, there's so many things that Jesus could have said, stop and reflect on this. But the word and the phrase that he chooses to encapsulate all that he wants us to remember of God when we pray is our Father. That God is like a really, really, really good dad. Now, Think with me, if you will, about how important it is that we're thinking rightly about God when we come to pray, right? The theologian A.W. Tozer, he said, this is actually the most important thing about you as a person. What comes to your mind when you think about who God is? But think about how important this is. If you, for instance, if you are coming to prayer and you think of God as a sort of religious taskmaster whose main concern is that you showed up that day to check the box that says, yes, I prayed. How is that going to affect the way that you pray? It's certainly not going to be very personal. 
uh, it's, that's not a great motivator to show up each day. It might motivate, but it's not great. It's going to affect the way that you pray. Or what if you think of God consciously or somewhat unconsciously, you think of God as kind of stingy. And the reason that I need to pray is because God isn't going to give me what I want or I need unless I show up and I do the things. How does that affect the way that we pray? Right? Prayer becomes very mechanistic, if you will. God becomes not our father, but a giant vending machine in the sky, and we have to put the right number of coins into the machine and push the right button so that we get the precious Doritos and don't accidentally get the machine to drop an apple into the thing or something that we really don't want at all. Oh, is right. So we pray our father, our father. This is what Jesus directs us to pray. Jesus' desire for us is that when we come to prayer, that when we pray, that we would think of God as a really, really, really good dad. And if you think about it, if, if you know the gospel stories very well, Jesus takes a ton of time, tells a lot of stories about what this means. He expounds on what it means that God is our Father, right? He tells us about how God has high and demanding moral standards, but they're paired with unconditional acceptance. He tells us about how God urges us, even disciplines his children, uh, that they might be on and stay on the right path. But he also makes room for us to fail. He talks about how God sees us when we fail, and he doesn't meet that with rejection. He meets it with affection. How God welcomes us back even when we dishonor him through our actions and our words and our attitudes. He, he talks about a father who is strong to protect us, but also tender to hold us and to cry for us and cry with us and cry over us. So this is where prayer starts, friends. Reflect on the fact that God is our Father. I'm sure there's, there's probably a countless number of ways of how you can do this. I'll tell you how I typically do this. Uh, when I sit to pray, I try to take 30 seconds, a minute, maybe longer, and just be still. And, and try to not talk. Right? Try to just be still and to become aware that I am sitting there with my Father, that that is the one to whom I pray. Try that. Try that as you pray. Just, just take, take that time and just be still first and become aware that right there with you in that moment, literally, is God your Father. And he is eager to be with you and to hear your prayer. That's where Jesus says to start. Reflect. Reflect on who God is. Second. Second is we worship. The prayer continues, hallowed be your name. Now what does that mean? None of us ever use the word hallowed in any other context, nor should we. 
It's a strange word for us. What are we praying for when we pray, hallowed be your name? Well, basically, it's this. We're praying, may your name, and in biblical terms, the name always stands for the person, right? So it's God, may your name or may you be honored as holy. May you, God, be treasured and loved. Essentially, when we pray, hallowed be your name, what we are praying is that God would be known as he truly is. In our world and in us. Right? Because, again, if our conception of God is off, everything else is going to go askew as well. Right? So we pray, God, may you be known. One, one author that I enjoy puts it this way. He says, what we're praying is this. Help me and everyone else recognize what a wonderful person you are. The biblical word for this activity is worship. It's worship. So when we pray, we're reflecting on who God is, and then we are worshiping him as a result. And we can see the logical connection between the two, right? Because if we are actually tuned in to who God is, if we actually have an accurate picture of what his character is like, of who this God is, the kind of God who not only can and did create the world and sustains it, but the kind of God who also sends his son to die for a world that rebels against him. If we're, if we're in tune, if we're really thinking about that, the only logical response to that is worship. To see God who he is and to say, yes, you are kind of amazing, God. That is part of how Jesus directs us to pray. We worship God when we come to prayer. Uh, Think about it like this, friends, as we're reflecting on who God is. Take time as you pray to thank him for that, to worship. Right, as we reflect, we, we, we worship him as the Holy One. Right? Uh, hallowed is derived from the word holy. We worship him as the Holy One, as, as the one who is perfect, the one who is pure, the one who has no sin, the one who loves justice and hates injustice. We worship him for that. We worship God, too, as the merciful one as the one who makes a way for us to be forgiven when we have no right to be forgiven and often no desire to be forgiven. God is incredibly merciful. We worship him for that. We worship him as the beloved son who gave his life that we might have life. We worship him as the Holy Spirit who makes the people of God holy and empowers them to do God's work. We worship. The prayer that Jesus gives us, it it is a prayer that that we all would see God's name, that we would see God as he is. And of course, that has to begin with you and me. So we pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. When you pray, when you pray, do this. Take a minute as you're reflecting on who God is. Take a minute or maybe more and just give him praise for that. Uh, if, if it's difficult for you, 
sometimes this works for me too. Sometimes if, if I'm having trouble really seeing why it's so good that God is the way God is, think of the alternative, right? Think of it this way. Imagine if God wasn't these things. If, imagine, think of God's holiness. Imagine if God was not holy. That would mean that he would be a God who didn't really care that much about right and wrong. If that were the case, what would our world be like? Right? It would be a place where the strong win every time. Biggest bully on the block, that person wins. There'd be no justice. There would also be no mercy. Right? We need God to be holy because we need the world to be a certain way, the way that God would have it be. Thank him for that. Thank him for who he is. Thank him that he is loving. Can you imagine if he was not? If God was not loving, there would be no mercy. There would be no sacrifice for our sins. We would get exactly what we deserve all the time, and it would be terrible. We need a God who is loving. This is the God Jesus shows us. Reflect on who he is and worship him for who he is. Uh, the theologian N.T. Wright, he, uh, I love how he puts this. He says, if you take just these first two, right? If you take just reflecting on God as our Father and then worshiping God as who he is, you, you have in that kind of this first one, the Father, it's drawing near to God in a way that is intimate and personal and loving. And then worshiping him and hallowed be your name, you have bowing before a God who is holy and righteous. And N.T. Wright says, if you are able to hold these two together, if you are able to go through life without letting go of either one, right? I mean, a God who's all holy, no love, or all love, no holy. If you can hold those together, he says, you are well on your way to understanding everything you know about the Christian faith. And friends, Jesus drops us into our prayer, the prayer, the prayer that we would pray every day. Our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Third word I would give you here is the word surrender. Surrender. The prayer continues, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, friends, when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, we are praying for the world to be the way that it should be. It's no surprise to any of us that that is not what our, our world currently is. The world is broken, and it's damaged. And there are, of course, in God's overarching grace, there is so much beauty and so much good, but there is also a heck of a lot of pain and violence and discrimination and hatred and suffering and disease, etc. When we pray... Your kingdom come. Your will be done. We are praying. We are praying, friends, that heaven would break into earth. That little bits of heaven. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That little bits of heaven where things do operate the way that they should. That those would break into our world in the here and now. Jesus says, make this part of what you pray. Every day as you come to God in prayer, pray this. 
that heaven would break into earth and that God's kingdom, the place where things happen the way that they should, that that would be realized in the here and the now. This is such a beautiful thing to pray, isn't it? Jesus says we need to be about calling down heaven into earth. That means, uh, among other things, that we are praying against poverty. We are praying against racism. We are praying against injustice. We are praying against disease. We are praying against violence. And not just out there, but also in here. Because in each of these, the prayer has to begin with us, doesn't it? It always needs to begin with us. And so our posture is surrender. We're praying that God's kingdom would come. We're praying that his will would be done in me the way it's done in heaven. And in, in the world, too, pray for that. This is, it's not either or, it's a both and. But it always has to start in me. So when I pray, when you pray, one of the things that Jesus tells us we are to be doing is to surrender. We're praying, in essence, the the prayer of Gethsemane, where Jesus, knowing the cross is coming, he prays there, not my will, but your will be done. We're praying, friends, let it be done in me. Help this world to be the way it should be and help me to be the way that I should be. Surrender. Think about, if you would, what's implied in this. To pray this prayer is a powerful act of trust. It's a declaration of trust first that God is wise enough and good enough that when his kingdom comes, that actually is the best kingdom. And I think if we're being really, really honest, we don't always believe that. Sometimes our picture of the best kingdom is it's actually our money. We think that's the best kingdom and that becomes our God and we chase it because if I had more, then everything would be as it should. Sometimes we think it's our relationships, and we chase that. It becomes our idols, because if only I had the right person in my life, that right spouse, that right friend, that right child, whatever, then everything would be as it should. This prayer is a full-out assault on our idols, where we are invited by Jesus every day to say, God, your way is the best way. I don't always feel it. I don't always see it. I don't always think it. But somewhere in my heart, I'm trying to come to believe this, that there's nothing better on earth than God's way. And so we surrender ourselves to that. J.I. Packer. I'm full of theologians today, friends. J.I. Packer. Another theologian, he writes this, he says, in this part of the Lord's Prayer, he says, Here, more clearly than anywhere, the purpose of prayer becomes plain. Not to make God do my will, which we have a name for this, which is 
magic, but to bring my will into line with his, which is what it means to practice true religion. When we come to prayer, like Mary, we're saying, here I am, Lord. May it be to me according to your will. When we pray, surrender. All right, you still tracking? We've got reflect, we've got worship, we've got surrender, and we have ask. Next we read, give us today our daily bread. In other words, pray, God, these are the things that I need today. Meet me in the midst of these things. And so we come to prayer. We're asking, what is it that I need or I want today? And we ask God for those things. Now, asking, this is the part of prayer that we probably all do the best. If there's anything that reminds us, oh, I need to pray, it's the fact that we have a need, right? (laughs) It's our daily bread. Something comes up where we're like, oh, man, God, help me. And sometimes, sometimes uh, this is an affliction that that, uh, hits religious people only. The non-religious need not worry about this one. But sometimes we get a little squirrely about asking. Like there's something kind of beneath the dignity of God that we're just coming to him for what we want. Like it's, you know, it's too selfish. It's kind of too base. I, you know, I should just appreciate God for who he is. Or when I come to prayer, I should be just confessing my sin. Or whatever the case might be. And, and again, this, this is not an either or. It's a both and. Those things, they're in here. It's part of the prayer too. But, friends, we've always got to remember, Jesus invites us to ask. This is not a, a bad or an inferior part of prayer. This is what Jesus says to do. Ask God for the things that you need. Ask God for the things that you want. God is the kind of God who wants you to do so. Right? Can we go back to the image of God as our Father? Right? And maybe contrast that with, with the idea of God as a taskmaster, or God as somebody who's just really stingy, and he won't give us what we want unless we ask him, and we do it in the right way, with the right motives. And da, 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 da. If God is our Father, really, really good Father, He is eager for us to ask. And Jesus goes to such lengths in the Gospels to convince us of this. And we don't have time this morning to go through all the examples, but he goes to great lengths to convince us that God is the kind of father who, if, for instance, a child comes and asks God for a loaf of bread, asks his father for a loaf of bread, the father doesn't give him a rock instead. If he asks asks his father for uh, a fish, God doesn't give him a snake instead. Can you accept that maybe, just maybe, God takes pleasure in giving you what you want and what you need? You know, it, um, it helped me immensely in this aspect of my life with God, becoming a father, becoming a dad. I've got two girls, if you don't know that, two uh, two little teenage lovelies, and um, 
there is, there is a delight that I take in them asking me for things. It started when they were really, really little, you know, and there's something just so precious and beautiful and so unpretentious when they're really young. Like, there's, there's no, like, them trying to butter you up or trying to, you know, it's just like, like, Dad, I want strawberries, you know, and they, they're just right there, and they want the thing. Actually, it's probably cookies. Dad, I want cookies. Um, and there, there is so much joy in giving them what they ask for. And there still is, as teenagers. Now they're much more sophisticated about it. And they've, they've actually had conversations about this, how they like, they like scope out, when's the best time to ask dad for this? Or this is a really hard ask, so I make the ask now and I'll come back two weeks later and I'll ask again and that time he'll say yes. And, you know, they've, <laughs> they've got, I mean, they totally have, have my number. I'm a big mush. And I want to say yes, and they know this, and I usually say yes because it makes me happy to say yes because it makes me happy to see them happy. What if God, friends, what if God is a big mush? What if God's a big mush? What if it makes him happy to give you the things that you ask him for? Can you receive that that could possibly be true? Because I would submit to you that is exactly the picture of our Father that Jesus gives us in the Gospels. So ask. Don't be weird about it. Don't make it weird, friends. Just ask him. Ask God for what you want, for what you need. What is it that you need this day? Ask him. A couple more. The next is confess. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Or in, uh, this is in Matthew's and Luke's version, it says, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. It's the same thing. But here we come to the matter of sin. And, uh, and not that I, I don't think this is a prayer you have to pray in the specific order or anything like that, but... Um, but I'm kind of glad that sin comes in the prayer where it does. It comes after we've reflected on God as our Father and what kind of God he is. It's after we've praised him for who he is. It's after we've surrendered and said, I agree, God, your way is best. Help me to live in that. It's after we've asked for what we want and what we need that we finally get to confess. And I'm kind of glad for that. But I'm glad we get there eventually, too, because we, we kind of have to. We have to get there at some point because this is a really crucial question, right? The question behind this one being, what do I do when I blow it? What do I do then? Because we all do, a lot. We blow it, we screw up, we fail, we outright rebel. What do we do with this? What is our mechanism for coming to God in the midst of that, and, and not, which is the alternative, and not just dropping into a great big shame cycle where we never come to God again because we can't stand to look him in the eye, proverbially speaking, and so we're just like, okay, I'm staying away. And probably some of us here have done that too. But there's a built-in solve to this, and that's that we confess our sins every day. Confess your sins to God. This is part of what we do when we pray. 
And, and that's it. Note this too. That's the whole mechanism, right? It's to show up, be honest, ask God's forgiveness, receive his grace, breathe, smile, keep going. That's all. You don't have to take a shame bath after that, you know, and wallow for a day or two. You don't have to put ashes on your head, sackcloth, whatever that is. Who even knows? It's just one of those words. Sackcloth, ashes. We don't have to go into wild rituals of penance. We don't have to do things to atone for what we've done. All that's been done. Jesus is the atonement for what we've done. We just show up. We get really honest. We say, I screwed up. God, will you forgive me? And we move on. It's called grace, friends. It's the best thing in the world. We confess. We confess. And likewise, right? There's, there's two parts to this one. It's forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. The other part of this is that every day we ask forgiveness and every day we forgive other people. Every day. This is part of how Jesus instructs us to prayer, right? Not to wait until the emotions are gone and now it's easy to forgive. Not to say, okay, I'll wait until about one day a year when I'm going to do, I'm going to clean accounts and be like, okay, I'll let those people go. Every day, forgive. Ask forgiveness and extend forgiveness. Uh, Michelle Sanchez, who's, um, she's a muckety-muck in our, our denomination who, uh, oversees our, our uh, Christian formation. She writes, this is perhaps the most liberating statement in the Bible. And I, I love hearing that from her uh, because she, she is an African-American woman who talks regularly about experiences of racism that she's been on the receiving end of. And she's very open and it's very painful to hear these things. And she says, this is, this is the most liberating statement in the Bible. Forgive people the way God's forgiven you. Liberating how? It's liberating because Jesus understands that we won't totally be free. That we won't begin to experience the healing that we desperately need until we begin to forgive And again here, I think we've got to be super honest because many days, most days, when you and I show up in prayer and we're asking God's forgiveness and we're forgiving other people, we don't feel it. We feel like I can't. And God knows this. And friends, sometimes our prayer is, Lord, help me forgive because I'm not quite there yet. But I tell you this, I'll... I'll promise you this. This is true. If every day you pray the Lord's Prayer, if every day you are praying like this and you are asking God to forgive your sins and you are extending forgiveness as best you can to those that are around you, a day will come when instead of it taking you a year to forgive that person to hurt you, it's only going to take a month. And a day's going to come when instead of it taking a month for you to forgive that person who hurt you, it's only going to take a week. And a day is going to come when, uh, while it took you a week to forgive that person, it's only going to take a day. 
And a day is going to come when forgiving others is going to feel a lot like breathing because you have taken on the character of Jesus to such an extent that you are able to begin extending forgiveness the way that Jesus extends forgiveness. Does that sound liberating to anybody else? Listen, God doesn't tell us to forgive those who hurt us because he's mean. He does it because he wants us to be free and wants us to be healed. And so Jesus puts this right here in the prayer that he says, do it this way. Every day confess our sins and release others of their sins too. The last petition here is we pray, protect. Protect. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Or, in other words, it's God, keep us far from sin. Whatever its source, whether it's my own fleshly temptations, whether it's the attacks of the enemy of our souls, we pray, God, we need your help. And this, when you think about it, this is the other side of confession. And this is truly refreshing, too. Jesus invites us into massive honesty about our sin, right? That when we blow it, we need to confess. But also, this is the other side of it. We're also confessing that we are weak, that we need help, that much as we would like to think otherwise, sin is waiting there, and sometimes it chases us down like a lion, and it grabs us, and it takes us down. And so we're, we're just being honest about that and saying, God, I need your help today. And maybe, maybe you can do this. I know sometimes this is part of my prayer, but sometimes I can kind of look ahead, and I kind of know what the temptations of the day are going to be. Right? And some of them are ones that are kind of always there, and they're sins that I'm always asking God to work on. Others might be a little more specific to that day. Right? It's like, oh, I'm meeting with that guy. Oh, God have mercy. Right? You've got those. You've got this. Ah, today I interact with my boss. Mm, Lord, <laughs> protect me. I'm going to be with this person. I get so judgy with them. Whatever it might be. But we pray, God, protect us. Friends, this is great news. God is not shocked when we blow it. And he's provided a way for us to keep accounts short, to keep the slate clean with him in that. And also, God is not walking around going, why are you so weak? Why are you still dealing with that thing? I thought we we went there yesterday, didn't we? This is the opposite. It's like, hey, you need help. Ask me for it. Ask me to provide the strength that you need. I think one of the um, one of the dominant narratives that I think I, I grew up believing for whatever reason uh, was that that I was uh, that I was weak. Uh, physically, I was weak. Uh, emotionally, I was weak. Um, that's that part's not the lie. That's that was true. Uh, both both of those things. Um, but I, I think I experienced a ton of shame over those things. And, uh, and for a long time, I kind of brought that into my relationship with God, too. 
God was like those other kids on the schoolyard, or God was like those certain teachers, or God was, God was kind of looking down on me too, going, what is your problem? Why are you so weak? The Gospels, friends, the Gospels give us a picture of a God who doesn't expect us to be self-sufficient of a God who doesn't expect that we are going to be strong enough that we do not need him. But in him we are whole. In him we are sound. In him we have the resources that we need. Uh, And uh, as Paul says, in our weakness, that is when we become strong. Because it's when he is able to be strong guest. So we pray, God, protect. Shore me up in these places where I'm weak. The prayer ends on worship again. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. It ends with this confident declaration that he is God, that he is the one in charge, that he is the one with all power, and that all glory is his. And and amen. How do we translate amen? Um, Sometimes we say, so be it. For today's prayer, let's make it this. Amen means, God, this is just the way we like it. We agree. And we want him to be the one in charge with all power and all glory. So how does Jesus teach us to pray, friends? He teaches us to reflect on who God is. And seeing him as he is, to worship him. To surrender our will to his. To ask for what we want and what we need. To confess our sins and extend forgiveness to others. To pray God's protection from sin and from evil. And we declare with confidence that he is God and that we want it that way. Here's the challenge. Here's the challenge. Friends, every day, set aside some time. Last week, Doug threw out 15 minutes. I I think I love that. That's a great amount of time. And you pair this with our meditation on Scripture as well. But set aside some time and pray this way. Try praying the way that Jesus taught us to pray. And let me know how it goes. I'd love to hear about it. Uh, as, we, uh, as we conclude, can we pray the prayer together? I'll put it on the screen behind me here. But pray it with me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Lord, make it so.